The Green Room is brought to you today by Amazon. Click the Amazon link on SeanTGreen.com to support The Green Room today. And now, live from Silver Lake, California, the host of The Green Room, Sean Green! All right, everyone, welcome to The Green Room. We're doing it live here in the Silver Lake studios on SeanTGreen.com, presented by our good folks over at 247comedy.com. Make sure you go online, grab that iHeartRadio app. Their channel is one of the most popular on there. And why not? You get 24-7 streaming comedy all the time. You can take it anywhere. Speaking of streaming comedy, this man is a fountain of comedy. My left-hand man, Mr. Logan Lystico. Logan, what's happening, bro? What's shaking, Bacon? Not much, man. Not much is shaking at all. <laughs> Actually, a lot's shaking, man. I, lo- I looked at this rundown. We got a lot. A lot is shaking, man. A lot, to, a lot to talk about. A lot to get into. How you doing, Logan? Let's uh, let's pick your brain for a little bit. What's going on? Give me a give me a rundown of your day. Um. Well, today I didn't do much. I just watched the movie Kick Ass, though. I liked. I love that movie. Yeah, good movie. Yeah, I just finished it actually. <laughs> all right. Good day, Logan. Good. Day. Sounds like a fun day. <laughs> Speaking of fun, this guy is a barrel of laughs. No, in all in all seriousness, funny guy and fun guy. Give it up for uh, Dave Ross. Dave, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you, man. <laughs> now, Wait, was that the whole segment of picking my brain? Well, I, I, I tried. I tried that was to, awesome. I tried to pick. I tried to pick Logan, but you know, you got to you got to give me something to mind. I, I didn't do anything today. I just I well, yeah. I mean, watched a movie. Yeah. Well, usually if I start out with "How was your day?" I mean, I'm not not to you know shit on your improv skills. A little yes and of my day. I did this and then I did this. Yeah, or, say some crazy shit, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, don't downplay right. your day of doing nothing. Highlight what you did. You, I don't know, shanting about the house. I don't know. Yeah, it, maybe you had some some intensity when you were trying bathroom. to put your pants on or something. Maybe that exactly. got rough. You can make up stuff, Logan. No one's gonna. No one knows of <laughs> did you. the laundry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There you go, <laughs> that dude. That's pretty Let's good. Say, you're getting the ball rolling. It's <laughs> more than I do. All right. Well, Man, Dave, why does a dryer take so long? Am I right, guys? <laughs> All right. Look now. Okay. Now, now we now we really are gonna the move on, takes Logan. Twelve minutes. In the dryer, it takes an hour. All right, okay. let's go. That'll, that'll play to uh, our other roommate. Is that on the rundown? Washer- <laughs> yes, it was a hot, hot washer-dryer talk with Logan for a good 10 to 15 minutes. So, Dave, you're a, uh, you're a stand-up comedian and also a former fellow radio guy. I think we've uh, talked about this a little bit, uh, yeah. you know, just uh, shooting the shit around shows. But uh, give us your background in radio. I always find that fascinating. I was, uh, I was a college radio DJ at USC for three years, and then... Out of college, I got a job as a DJ at a uh, clear channel station in Fresno called KRZR. Nice. Uh, Classic hits? uh, No, they were – well, partly. They were active rock was the format. Nice. So it was like – what headbangers like? You know, they played Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. And then they some of the classic stuff, but the good classics. Yeah, and then they also played Metallica, and then they played like Disturbed and Godsmack and that. Nice, oh, nice. some pretty hard stuff. Yeah, nice. like anything that could be in a Navy ad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Die for your country. It's brought yeah. to you by Puddle of Mud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. It is fun. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that. Yeah, but those guys, they like, I, which makes sense. You don't want to be sending off guys. 
Like, if they just played light jazz and then had the Navy come up, I feel like that might either, A, hurt recruiting or recruit the wrong type of guys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, a picture of an aircraft carrier and, like, uh, Ben Gibbard singing is, yes. is not going to get the tough guys you're looking for. No, exactly. I mean, in the 80s, it, there was kind of probably some hybrid because pop culture was just hammering away synth rock. And, uh, you know, it played well in Top Gun. So maybe the net was cast a little wider. But now I feel like it's either <laughs> hardcore It's hardcore rock. But I, I think they're even – they're scared of going rap. They're not going to – they're not going to get uh, – I don't know. I haven't heard a lot of I military either. with rap. I, I feel like maybe they just realize if you're listening to rap, you know, you're going to be pants sag and we can't – we need <laughs> – right. we rap need you to conform. Rap is undisciplined. It's so interesting that that's conforming, though, because, I mean, the people who are into hip-hop look a lot more presentable than people who listen to Godsmack. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. At least it's some – it's hip-hop clothing. It's worn loosely, but they, they're they at least trying for a look. I feel like hygiene's still in the mix. Right, yeah. Hygiene is probably is probably what <laughs> differentiates Did you – now, you were, you were a DJ on the station, so you at least had to pretend to be in the music. Did you ever earnestly kind of get into it just by hearing it all the time, or did it drive you crazy? listening to the same stuff well i mean it did drive me crazy listening to the same stuff like i hate the song all apologies by nirvana now and nirvana has always been one of my favorite bands but that song played like once every two hours and i was there for two years wow and uh and some of the stuff like i never really got on board with like i've never really liked godsmack and and disturbed and stuff but you know you like you get into it because you don't want to just shit on the uh oh can i say that yeah yeah, okay (laughs) Uh, you don't want to just. No, it's actually you can say you can curse, but just not about uh, Godsmack in particular. Oh, I'm sorry. So you can't take Godsmack's name in vain. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so that's our only commandment here on the podcast. Oh, fair enough. What I, one thing I would do is that I like I have such an immense hatred for Lincoln Park right. that I couldn't. When I had to introduce Lincoln Park song, I just couldn't bear acting like I liked it. And one uh, one time, this is right before I quit. I was just like, I'm really sorry. Here's Lincoln Park, and I, <laughs> I can't stand that band. That, that is that is a, that is a fun <laughs> moment in radio. Occasionally now, because of YouTube, you you'll hear the clips and stuff. But a guy that they know it's his last airship. Either either they've told him or he knows he's quitting, and just the disdain that's coming <laughs> right. out. Like you never got us coffee. And just like, <laughs> yeah. just like the plethora of issues you have uh, dealing with doing you know traditional radio, and you can just feel that kind of angst. It's funny that you say that about Lincoln Park. I kind of have the opposite end of the spectrum. I was you know early on in college, rap rock was pretty popular. Sure. I. Uh, the first Linkin Park album came out, and I was I was pretty into it. And uh, this was when I was up at Penn State, and I, we were uh, we were going to the Linkin Park concert. And I remember we were hanging out pre gaming at this uh, girl's apartment who lived near the place where they have concerts up at Penn State, hanging out there. And there was a couple beers left, and I was like, "Oh, can I have one of these beers?" And she's like, "Ah, sorry, there's not enough to share." And what? And I know it's, <laughs> it sounds insane, and it was insane. So. I was kind of drunk, and I went to the bathroom, and then I saw her uh, her toothbrush there, and uh, I did horrible, unspeakable things to that toothbrush. Sure. Put it back, and I was like, "That'll teach you a lesson about sharing, lady." <laughs> and then I went and rocked out to Lincoln Park. So, <laughs> you know, Lincoln well, Park. Well, they know the demographic, man. Exactly. It just shows that Lincoln Park fans are kind of shitheads, and you were probably right not to get into the music. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, do you? Um, I think we might have talked about this on the podcast a few weeks back. I forget. But do you know that Corn now is getting into dubstep? Corn, are they really? Corn. 
the pioneers of new metal, as they called it, that kind of rap, or I guess it's like rock, but kind of with some hip-hop influence a little bit. Now they're getting into dubstep, and uh, wow. it just goes to show you that they they really have no soul. If you're just going to just <laughs> yeah. hop on this dubstep bandwagon, whatever whatever respectability Korn had, they lost it completely. So now you got into uh, radio. Was that, uh, was that part of your game plan, going into college? Was that something that interested you? Uh, no, not really. And I'm, I mean, it should have been because, I mean, I feel like high school guidance counselors need to, need to go through a little bit more rigorous training. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And I like, I was, I was like engineering track, but I was like in theater all of school. And then I switched to like applying to theater schools, but I always was a music nerd and I love to talk. You know, so yeah. like, why not? It's not that hard to right. And put I those feel like together. if you were in high school, if you sat down and had a ten-minute conversation, you might be able to get that out. I don't remember having any sort of conversation with a guidance counselor because they just were like, "Oh, hey, you were applying to colleges?" I said yes, and they're like, "All right, yeah. best of luck." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> thank you." Yeah, <laughs> I think I maybe had a two or three-minute conversation. They were like, "Oh, what do you have the best grades in? Math? Do that." I'm like, "That's insane. <laughs> I'm gonna do math for the rest of my life." Exactly. God damn it. That's it's uh, an involved life so in high school you were you were doing some theater you were a, you were a big music nerd give me a ipod playlist of dave ross obviously ipods probably weren't happening back then but what would be on a mixed cd uh in like when i was in high school yeah what, oh man crazy amounts of blink 182 really? <laughs> for real yeah i mean i was like i was all pop punk all i did was go to punk shows when i was in high school so it was like I mean, and I got made fun of a fair amount by my friends for how much I listened to Blink-182. Uh, so they, but they were what got me into pop punk. And then past that, it was like, God, I listened to a lot of, uh, a lot of no effects uh, and stuff like that, you know, like uh, West Coast skate punk. And then I also listened to, like, Bouncing Souls um, and then some earlier, like, punk rock, like Dead Kennedys and Germs and so stuff you were, like that. Yeah. Was, was that how you would describe yourself in high school? Were you a punk? Did you kind of oh. dress like a punk? Did you oh, self-identify as a punk? I my I my entire life was identifying as a punk. Like, really? I, oh, I was the type of kid who was like, if you mentioned a band and they weren't punk, I would stop listening to you. I was, <laughs> I, yeah, dude, I had like bright red or bright green spiked hair. And, oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah, see, oh, I don't, yeah, dude. I don't see that. I mean, looking at Dave, you seem like a normal. I mean, your, your dress is, you know, sure. nothing outrageous. Normal looking haircut. I look uh, kind of square. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't you don't look hip at all. You don't look like a punk at all. You look like you're conforming to society yeah. as far as dress code and hair attire. But uh, wow, that's, that's surprising. Now I was I always wonder in my head like because I know when I um, I went through kind of a a punk hardcore phase. Okay. It was um, we're talking like seventh eighth grade. We would go to like local kind of punk shows at uh, these firehouses. Where just I, I think I was yeah. just brought in strictly by the idea of a mosh pit. Like oh wait, <laughs> I can just go and, and just slam into <laughs> slam into people, and there's going to be some girls hanging around, and you know just a lot of yelling in the microphone and <laughs> distorted guitar. And I, I was kind of in it for that. And then I remember uh, I died my hair purple one summer okay and i was like all right this is really punk rock and then uh <laughs> and then i was just like every time i went to work at my uncle's hardware store i would uh, i'd like shamefully cover up with a hat because i know like the guys at work at the hardware store would call me gay for putting cream in my coffee but i knew like purple <laughs> yeah. hair that's gonna be a lot of red flags so i think once i put that hat on and started working i never dyed my hair again and i was just i kind of uh moved past punk did you have a moment where you're like 
I'm no longer kind of a punk, but I still enjoy the music. Was there a point like that? Huh. I don't know. I mean, I, I dyed my hair into the my freshman year of college. And then, you know, I... I I moved from being a music nerd in college to being like a drugs nerd, and somewhere in there, I stopped giving a damn about punk rock. Is that yes. a term, uh, drug nerd? I mean, I don't think that is a term, but that's definitely what I was. Like, I was one of those guys who was like, I mean, yeah, you know, uh, I'm just trying to get some two CT seven off the internet, you know, like because you're the guy, you're the guy who was into sativa before it became popular. Oh yeah, dude, you gotta the way you gotta do it is you gotta get you gotta get a bowl of ten X and you gotta hit the whole thing in one drag, or you're not even gonna feel bath salts, man. Like, that, is, yeah. that is so last season bath salts. Oh my yeah. god, I'm way past it, dude. One summer, this is this is before I was an actual drug nerd when i was a, when i was like a an aspiring one this is so lame sure. by the way i'm not i'm not sure. proud of being this uh but my friend and i like we really wanted to get fucked up and uh we couldn't <laughs> typical drug nerd stuff yeah but we couldn't we were like at our parents houses or whatever and we couldn't find anything so we literally you can get you can get <laughs> my mom's all out of ecstasy this is bullshit <laughs> right dad where's the mdma come on man you had it everywhere when i was 10 um yeah, so you can you could trip out really hard by smoking raw nutmeg. Yes, uh, I've always that was one of those things that I always heard and just assumed it was an urban legend, or just assumed I'll just smoke weed. I, I never got to the nutmeg, but take us through a nutmeg trip. Well, that's the thing, though. I had heard that, but I didn't like do my reading. I yeah. uh, I don't even know if we like had the internet at my house or right. something. So we just took like powdered store nutmeg and put it in a bowl and smoked it and it was it was a dry bong too so it was oh just like, oh, like oh my God. you can't get high off of that you just can't get high off a of store-bought nutmeg no it's like processed in some way that takes it away oh okay. so we just so for kids out there you gotta go you gotta wander <laughs> off the path to you get the farm real nutmeg, nutmeg. yeah yeah. So that was that was a that was a failed night. That and, was an and, interesting phase. Yeah. All right. So you're you're kind of getting into the punk world. You're becoming a drug nerd, as you <laughs> like to describe it. What do you think uh, kind of brought that counterculture push in your life? Was there something that like oh interesting? Uh, you know, I wasn't uh, obviously you weren't like a jock or something. Was there something that kind of pushed you? into punk music, into becoming a drug nerd, looking back on it, do you think like, oh, this wasn't going on, so I kind of moved into these areas? You know, I actually, I got to ask this question by my, the summer after my first year of college, I worked in the Minolta factory in Ramsey, what's, New Jersey. What's that? The Minolta factory. It's like a, a camera factory. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, and there's, a guy, there's a guy there who was clearly like an old punk. He was like, he, and he was Scottish. And uh, he was, like, listening to Dead Kennedys one day, and I was like, I love this. And he was like, oh, really? And he, we started talking about it. And it, he, just goes, he just looks at me, because I looked at that point like I look now. I had these, like, you know, tiny glasses <laughs> and, like, glasses. hair I'm not. It just looks like is garbage. And uh, he's like, how the fuck did you get into hardcore? And, <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, I don't know. No one liked me. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, oh, so everyone else was going north. So you went left, and I was like, "That's that's the best example." Well, that, now this is I've noticed this, you know, interviewing comedians, talking to comedians all the time, being involved in comedy all the time. Now, do you think it's honestly looking back on it that because you you come off as a likable fella? Do you think <laughs> is it that no one liked you, or was it that you were a super sensitive person and you really felt when maybe someone wasn't liking you? Because I, I think I have that same thing, or, or a lot of comedians. 
they're super sensitive, which makes you attuned to picking up observations and kind of being able to read people really well, almost maybe too well to where like if someone was ignoring you or something, it'd be easier for other people to tune it out where someone's super sensitive. It really That's exactly that what in. it was. And I think it's that – I think a lot of comedians have that and what makes that really bad for you is, is the uh, you know the propensity to blow things out of proportion. You know? So yeah. it was both of those. Like you said, you know, oh, they're ignoring me. That means they hate me forever, which is – you know, no. it's that type of – yeah, that was definitely what it was. It was all in my head. Now, where would you grow up? What part of the country? Uh, well, I was a Navy brat. So okay. I grew up uh, – we moved every three years until I was 12, and then my dad retired, and we moved to New York. Okay, and that was uh, upstate New York or the city? It was upstate, but like 50 miles north of the city. Okay. So. All right. Now, when did you uh, – you kind of start getting into comedy? Uh, well, I was always – I was always like a comedy nerd. I mean we watched – we watched Robert Schimmel's first HBO special in the limo on the way to prom, my friends and I. <laughs> uh, yeah. Badass, yeah, man. we were all getting laid that night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and so there was always that. And I like, you know, I always loved watching stand up and, and I had a bunch of comedy albums. But I, I got into it because of radio. I, radio was fun. But then I just worked for Clear Channel and they're a horrible. They just treat their employees like shit and I, I needed to leave. But I still loved performing and doing funny things. Okay, and so then so, uh, you grow up in New York. You go to uh, film. Was it film school at USC? Was that your no, track? Or it was theater school initially, and then I ended up with a degree in psych. Okay, yeah. so was the initial plan go to USC become an actor? Yeah, that was the okay. initial plan. So and then what? You just didn't really get bit by the acting bug at USC that much? Yeah, I don't know. I hated it. I hated the classes. <laughs> yeah, it, it was terrible. There was dude. There was one class. Taught by this crazy person named Marilyn McIntyre. Okay. It was at 8 Google. in the morning on Mondays and Wednesdays, Theater 101. And she literally would like – she would have – there were 10 of us in the class. We would have to stand in a circle and then without any direction jump simultaneously, <laughs> which is literally impossible to do. She's like, you got to feel the people around you <laughs> jump when they jump. And I'm like, yeah, oh, it's some God. telepathy stuff. Yeah. So I was like, this is bullshit. And okay, I, so I you're like, this it. is bullshit. Yeah. I'm out of here. I'm going to go get into some hard rock in Fresno. So was this <laughs> yeah. just like you had a demo tape, you sent it around, a small market picked you up? Totally, yeah. Yeah, I sent uh, – I had a tape. I had an hour tape of my USC radio show. I sent the full hour tape out to these corporate radio stations, not thinking that they didn't care what kind of music I listened to. Right. And the only one that responded was Fresno. And they hired me. Um, they hired me for six hours a week. Initially, I was uh, on Thursday nights from midnight to six a.m. All right. Uh, Swing shift. Eight dollars an hour. Yeah. Solid. So I just wow. moved up there and and like was poor for a while. Yeah. yeah. Now, so yeah, give us kind of. Take us through a week of working midnight to six a.m. in Fresno for eight dollars an hour. What was your, what was your sleep schedule like? What was your night outs, or what did you do for fun? Oh man, well those that initial like three four months was so hard. I like I, uh, I spent all week looking forward to Thursday night when I would you know be able to go on air. The rest of the time I would like you know smoke a bunch of weed or or drink. Well, no, not smoke weed. I'd stop by that point. Um, but I would drink a lot and look for jobs. That was it. But then pretty quickly after that, I started to like I, – I, like I hated you know all the listlessness. So I just started being at the station all day. 
and I would just go into the production room and learn the software and like try to make like comedy bits, audio bits, and then learn how to make commercials and and try to help. Like the afternoon guy was sort of like a Howard Stern type of dude, and he was always doing stunts with his interns and stuff. Cool. Since so trying to be part of that, so yeah, you're just taking Which, advantage of the surroundings. Yeah, totally. Like even if I wasn't getting paid, I was just trying to have fun. Yeah. So you just got on there a lot. Did you ever get? A, did you get much traction? I did. Yeah, and by the end, I was uh, I was producing the night show. And I was on the uh, I was on the team that was like pick that was like picking the music that the station would play, and I had two shifts uh, on the weekends that were my own Saturday from noon to four, and then Sunday from two to six, and I had my own show from eleven p.m. to midnight where I could play whatever I wanted. Nice. Uh, Sounds like yeah. a good gig. Yeah. Now, were you meeting uh, – how, how about the ladies? Were you meeting the ladies? Yeah, it was so easy. It, <laughs> it was crazy. I, that's not a thing that's easy for me. Right. But in Fresno, as a radio DJ, it was like – it was not hard. So now, um, like, how, what's the move? Do you go to, like, a listener event or are you just out at a bar and mention what you do for a living? You know, I don't know. I, I've never really liked doing that type of stuff where you, like, go to a listener event, like, wearing a KRZR T-shirt. <laughs> and you just, like, lean up against a telephone. No, no, one, no one likes to do Wait that. They <laughs> like to get laid, Dave. <laughs> I guess that's true. No, it's, um, the end, it's the end game there. Uh, it was just sort of like, yeah, I guess that is what, you know, I'm making fun of it, but that is what I would do. I would go to, like, uh, <laughs> I, like I exactly. you're, ju- you're judging the wing bowl. One thing leads to another. The wing bowl. How do you is a wing bowl a common thing that people? Well, do? It, it's uh, it's funny you talk about that. We had uh, Carl Hess on a couple weeks back, and it's a it's a huge thing in Philly. And I think other radio stations kind of picked it up and started doing oh, it because okay. it was that popular. But yeah, in Philly, they'll fill out like an entire stadium for the wing bowl. No way. But yeah, I imagine they do similar. They had a wing bowl in yeah. Fresno. Oh yeah. yeah, good times. People like getting fat in Fresno. <laughs> I think people like getting fat in general. Damn yeah. right. Dude. Yeah, I mean it's the yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the getting fat's the fun part. The living fat's probably not as fun. Or dying exactly. fat. That's that's kind of a downer. So now, when do you you, you just uh, you'd mentioned earlier that at some point you kind of snap and said, "Hey, I'm out of here. I'm bailing on on uh, this station." When you quit there, what was the plan from quitting? Was there a plan, or was it just a snap judgment? It was kind of a snap judgment. I actually did. You were talking about the last days of a radio DJ. Somewhere out there are like 15 people in Fresno who heard my last air shift at midnight. And I went on this crazy rant about uh, corporate America and how they're destroying. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I was all nervous and stuttering and stuff. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. Do you have that tape? That would be wish. awesome. Maybe I do, actually. I have a bunch of old air checks saved uh, somewhere. Um, the plan sort of was because I like – I was like – I also was like I got to get out of Fresno. It was really bringing me down. So I had, my buddies were uh, – they had an opening in a house in L.A. and I had uh, done stand-up like twice – and uh, so the plan was, like, to move down to L.A. and, like, try to, like, do stand-up. Uh, but uh, then instead what I did was I moved to L.A., I did stand-up three times, got scared, and didn't do it for three years. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So you can't, you moved down after the Fresno, after you just kind of freaked out. Said, you know, F it, corporate America. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my, I'm gonna hitch my wagon south, yeah, go to totally. Los Angeles, set up. You do three shows. What happened at those three shows that scarred you so bad? Was it just your typical bombing? Anything in particular? I think actually, w- what did it was I the first. Well, the first time I ever performed was like six months before I quit radio at the end of a music open mic. 
and I was so nervous that I I must have drank like three quarters of a bottle of Jack. Like uh, I just got so wasted, and I just got in an argument with the uh, with this woman about Jesus. I don't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> and then I, you know, when I quit radio, I, we did a, a, like some DJs and I put together a show, and that went really great. And I came down here and did like three open mics and a bringer. And I was nervous and shaky, and I didn't have any fun, and it was horrifying. Uh, but then I think what really did it was I drove back up to Fresno for a weekend to do one more show at the sports bar. And this one was not – the first one was, like, put together, and people paid attention, but it was, like, havoc. <laughs> and to the point where, like, some of the comics were getting called fags by the audience and stuff, and I was just so shaken. I, po- I apologize. Yeah, I it was apologize, you. <laughs> I'd lost a lot of money on the Cleveland Browns that game. I apologize. I should have known better. <laughs> yeah, you ruined me for three years, Sean. Well, Damn exa- it. That's the thing. It all with, comes full circle. I've, now I've had a lot of fun at doing sports bar shows, and I've also been on, especially earlier on when I, I, I didn't have the chops to kind of handle a sports crowd or like a, a any, in particular, a bar crowd. And, and I have a lot of fun now, and I, I know I actually, those are kind of more of my favorite shows to do, but especially if you. It's not a great place to start. Like the yeah. coffee shop place is probably a better way to start because even if it goes bad, it's it's tepid. Whereas sports sure. fans, they've just been drinking a lot. They've just spent hours upon hours of yelling yelling at a TV. Then the TV's off. They're supposed to calm down. They're looking for some adrenaline. Yeah. And in the same way that when you watch a sports game and you can you can see like, oh, this team doesn't have it. If you're up there and and just like faltering at all or just kind of they can oh, they'll eat you the alive. Fear. Oh, sure. And you, you know what? I agree with you, too, now. I, uh, sports bar shows are some of my favorite shows. Rowdy crowds that you get to yell back and forth at. And yeah, like, yeah, because it be it's lively. It's not dead. It's, you know. Uh, and normally they're they're on your side. They're just loud. Yeah, you know, every exactly. Every now and then you get an ass. Yeah, they want to. Yeah. In the same way. Yeah, it's like they want to cheer for you. All right, so you're at the sports bar. You made, a, you made another second run there. Didn't go well. And you said, screw it. I'm done comedy, but I'm still going to live in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now, all right, what are you doing in these three years between when you're not doing stand-up comedy, then? I don't know, man. Just drinking and being pissed, I guess. <laughs> I just <laughs> Is this where some of your uh, drug nerd stuff comes into play? Uh, no. Actually, I basically quit doing drugs uh, when I moved to Fresno. Because <clears throat> this is why I said I, I had quit smoking weed. Because the last thing that I did, like my senior year, I did heroin a fair amount. Wow. And like. I wasn't shooting it. I was smoking it, but it was still heroin, and I was doing it you know, four or five times a week. So, And then I moved to Fresno. I didn't have a hookup, and I just quit. Wow. That's crazy. So you were – now, how does that get introduced? I've never been around someone doing heroin. Like what uh, – yeah. <laughs> how does that get going? How do you kind of get – You know, it's, uh, it's funny. Uh, just like with any other drug that I had a rule about that I wasn't – because I had I like had rules that I would continuously break. It was For a while, it was like no coke, no meth, no heroin. And then I did coke, and then I did meth, and then I would no heroin, never going to do heroin. <laughs> and it was like my friend uh, – shouldn't have said that. Uh, my, uh, uh, <laughs> my friend uh, came over one day, and um, – and he was like, hey, do you want to smoke some opium? And I was like, sure. And I had smoked some opium in college. It was just like 
I later found out that the opium we got was basically it, it was mostly incense. Yeah, uh, it smells sort of nice, and it's like really hard. It's black, but it's hard. So I was like, yeah, cool. It gets you a little bit higher. I'll do right. that. Right. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that kicking around concerts at jam bands. It's uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like weed, a little, a little. Uh, yeah, I guess a little uh, stronger weed or something like that. Yeah. So that's exactly what it feels like. So we put it on a bowl and we smoked it, and then I, I just got retardedly high. I was just like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Uh, do you have more? And he was like, yeah, I'll come back tomorrow. And I was like, sure. And we did that for like four days before he told me that it was heroin. Oh, wow. And I was like, what do you mean heroin? We're smoking it. And he's like, well, this is black tar heroin. This is what Bradley Knowles injected into his body. And I was like, <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, uh, so it's got some street well, cred. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then I did it for like a year. Now, what uh, did you feel like that was uh, looking back on that? Was that a lost year? I mean, were you still able to function at a high level? Were you still you were in well? I graduated from college, uh, and it it wasn't a lost year. I'm not necessarily upset that I did it because, you know, I never got so deep that I did anything horrifying or or like that. But I did have, I don't know. I I don't really hang out with many people from back then at all. Yeah, Uh, and. You know, I graduated with something insane, like a 299, and when I got my transcripts, I looked. My senior year, I dropped out of soccer class so late <laughs> that I failed it. <laughs> and, you know, oh. that's that's like a heroin thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's a blow-off. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a weed thing to do, but uh, and that's definitely yeah. we potheads would at least show up to soccer. And <laughs> yeah. They would they would get a D for forgetting their shin guards, but they would still show up. Uh, yeah. yeah, if you're totally aged out, then you're not even gonna you're not even gonna think <laughs> yeah. about soccer. Why would I do this? Yeah. Now that's that's crazy. So you just moved up to Fresno and. Did you ha- did you go through any kind of like crazy withdrawal period? No, I don't think withdrawals happen if you're just smoking it. But but it, like it did, there was a a pretty there was a pretty serious amount of depression for like a year after that, just like not doing any drugs. Yeah, what do you think? It was just kind of getting your synapses back, getting your yeah. serotonin re leveled. I guess so. I don't know. I mean. There's just certain things you start to depend on drugs for, you know? And I guess I just supplemented it with alcohol anyway, so it probably wasn't that bad. <laughs> uh, now, is that – I mean, I, I think that's kind of – it's interesting in a way that you're – are you, you still drink now, right? I drink, but like very intermittently. I don't very, drink that much. Okay, so now – but when you get drunk, do you ever think like, oh, man, do you ever – do, do you ever, ever worry that? about getting drunk and then kind of getting back into drugs? Or what do you think kind of prevents you from – because it seems like a lot of people, when they go sober, it's completely sober. I won't sure. even have a glass of wine. I won't be around it. Now you're doing comedy. You're around it. You maybe have a, a beer or two here and there. How are you How are you able to kind of have that self-discipline? Where do you, Does that come from something in particular? I don't really know. I mean it, I have a pretty serious fear and I've always had a pretty serious fear of – getting addicted to a drug and having it taking over my life. And even even when I was doing a lot of drugs, I, I I was always like the even though I was doing like K and and ecstasy and acid like whenever I and and meth and coke, whenever I can get a hold of it, I was the least hardcore of my friends. I never I was the I went the least overboard, you know? So now I just I've seen what it's done to some people and I just don't want it to be a part of my life. So it just doesn't even really Happened. Now what? Now what do you think was that? Uh, was that a college thing? Was that uh, was it because you got going in high school? Was it the was it the crowd you were hanging in, or was it something you kind of in the back of your head was like, hey, this is something I want to check out for a while? I uh, it was all those things. I mean, I started smoking pot like my my senior year of high school, and I loved it. Uh, 
and uh, then I got really into it my freshman year and loved it. And then I, you know, I the group that I was a part of got really into doing drugs. And I don't know, I never, I've always been sort of like a "don't knock until you tried it" type of guy. <laughs> well, not always actually. I was like straight edge until I was like in eleventh grade. And then I remember wow, you've had a lot of phases. Yeah, I, I didn't really land on anything until I until like three years ago. Until yeah. comedy, so yeah. you're kind of. It sounds like a guy searching for his identity. Yeah, and and found it doing comedy. What was the uh, what was the impetus to go from hanging around drinking in L.A. not really getting much done to getting back on the horse doing stand up comedy? It was two things. The first was a breakup that uh, was like horrific. I lived with this girl in Burbank, and we didn't get along. Uh, and then I moved out and like, you know, just started drinking a lot. And, uh, and then also, uh, my friend, Julie Cohen, who had started when I had like, you know, had a false start three years before she had like bothered me every now and then to go to open mics with her. And I was always too afraid, but then she, she had started an open mic at the Palms bar in West Hollywood and fired her co-host and sort of like called me a pussy until I said I would co-host it with her. All right. And so like, you got, you got co-opted into it. Yeah, totally. And it happened. Those two things happened right about the right time. And then like, right when I like broke up with that girl, comedy became like the thing that she I would put my energy lady. into. Yeah, exactly. Nice. That's cool, man. And, uh, what's your, um, Sorry, what's uh, what's your take been on comedy so far? Have you have you kind of enjoyed it? Do you what's your outlook right now? How do you feel about where you're at in comedy? How's it going? Well, I have certainly uh, Ill, Ill, like certain parts of it have been extremely hard for me, but right now I am so stoked. I'm like, I, I mean, honestly, it, things are pretty much perfect for me right now. They're exactly where I want them to be. I like. You know, I get to do stand-up. I thought about it the other day. I mean, granted, I want comedy to be my living. Yeah. But uh, I have a job that uh, that I can do that's pretty low pressure during the day, and then I can perform stand-up every night. I get to co-host a podcast that a fair amount of people listen to and make sketches with two of my best friends. It's like everything I want to do. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, talk about the uh, the podcast and the sketches real quick for people who haven't who haven't checked them out yet. Uh, oh, okay. Um, I, uh, I co-host... Um, this podcast called Sex Nerd Sandra, which is uh, one of the nerdest podcasts. Nerdist uh, is uh, Chris Hardwick. He was the he was the non Jenny McCarthy on Singled Out and, and on Shipwrecked. Yeah, uh, Shipwrecked. <laughs> he was also not Jenny McCarthy and kind of fell off the radar, but was a stand-up comedian and has had a resurgence in his career doing this podcast called The Nerdist. Developed this podcast network, and that's where the program's hosted, right? Yeah, totally, uh, totally. And it's you know the podcast. I don't know, man. Uh, people, we seem to get like a lot of listeners. Uh, it's it's actually it's perfect for me because I'm obviously very interested in sex, and I would consider myself to be a pretty open person. But I also, you know, I I haven't really done that much when it comes to <laughs> sex. So I'm Sandra is a sex expert. Uh, and I just get to sit there and go, "Holy shit, are you serious?" <laughs> You're the audience. Crack jokes to. and stay exactly. Yeah. Now, what um, what's kind of the craziest thing you've heard out of Sandra or something crazy? Oh, dude. on the show, Good. dude. Hands down, I know exactly. What oh, it is. Okay. Uh, we have a we, we have a theme to every show, and one show the theme was uh, dominatrix dominatrixes and and you know S and M type stuff. We had a dominatrix, a career dominatrix on the show. <laughs> Seasoned uh, veteran of the dominatrix. Yeah, totally. And she was so cool. She was uh, – yeah, it was awesome. Uh, 
But I guess she was actually a retired dominatrix. Now she was like a buyer for a sex store. So, so now, now the game has been good to her. She's still yeah, exactly. hanging around, scouting new talent just for the love of the dominating, right? Yeah, exactly. She went from being player to coach. Exactly. Uh, so uh, she, we asked her this question. She was like, oh, yeah. Um, I guess she worked for a dungeon in L.A. for a specific one for 10 years. And uh, a guy came in. And his request was so off-putting that none of the doms would take it. But she was like, oh, I got this. And apparently what it was, this guy was wearing, like, orange sweatpants and an orange uh, sweatshirt and had his toenails painted orange and was wearing flip-flops and was, like, just kind of a fat mess, I guess. All right. uh, Giant pumpkin-looking dude. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like he matched well, though. (laughs) Yeah, no. He he put some effort into how he looked, at least. Uh, And so... What uh, what she had to do was they go into whatever room it was, and he's tied to a big uh, wooden cross. And she is kneeled down like 10 feet away from him holding a thing of baby powder. And she's just like, uh, I'm going to fucking cover you in baby powder. I'm going to get you. You're a dirty little boy. You're a nasty little bitch, aren't you? I'm going to cover you. And he's just crying. <laughs> Tied to this thing crying, and and she's just getting closer and closer to him, and the closer she gets, the more he's, like, pouring tears. And then she just jumps on him and covers him in baby powder, and he's still crying. And then she pulls his sweatpants up and just shoves a bunch of baby powder in his (laughs) pants, and he just ejaculates immediately. (laughs) Yeah. That is bizarre. That is the craziest thing. Also, we had a guy on the show who is a professional um, villain. Who like enacts like murder play in sex for couples? Really? Yeah, they oh fake God. murder really people. Creepy. Yeah, wow. right. Yeah, crazy. I mean, you always hear these uh, women. Oh, this is my rape fantasy or something like that. But um, they, that yeah, they, that's like a full time gig, I guess. I had no idea. I've heard these stories of people on Craigslist posting stuff of like. Hey, I have this uh, like uh, people setting up like uh, scorned lovers where they go like, oh, hey, I have this uh, crazy rape fantasy. Just here's my address. Just come in. And I- I'm gonna say no, don't do it. But trust me, I want you to do it. Yeah, there's some. I don't remember and they exactly. They did this to like an ex or something? yeah, yeah. They oh like they God. set it up. So wow. yeah, that, that is horrifying. Fetish is uh, yeah, they really run the gamut. I mean, I guess the only baby powder fetish I have related to that is just, you know, light, light powdering on the fellas. Keep me fresh, feeling good. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Throw, I'll throw it on. I, I mean, gotta try that, man. No, oh, oh, you haven't tried it? It's no, awesome. I've never yeah. done that. Oh, dude, it, um, especially with the gold bond, you just feel, you feel awake down there. It's like a little mini massage with that, whatever they got, that aloe or whatever it's in there. And I guess it keeps you from, like, uh, sticking together. It makes you, yeah, you, know, it makes bat, you feel more free. Bat wing repellent. It's just the idea of, like, hey, you know, the, those guys, they work hard for their money show, show them a little love <laughs> it's funny my mom like uh she would like just kept seeing baby powder on the bathroom floor and she's like what's going on in here <laughs> and then like eventually she came to the conclusion and figured it out and she's like oh that's disgusting <laughs> it's like no it's hygienic you know you just want to want to keep things fresh down there keep things moving around but yeah it's a uh, yeah if you see any guy yeah i recommend the gold pond something about the something about the medicated uh, powder i don't know what it okay. is but it gives it's a little zing man Appreciate Here's uh, here, I'll, and I'll pass on a tip to you. Sure. Uh, this isn't something that I've actually done yet, but Sandra is demanding that I do it for the sake of the show. I was act- this was given to me by another uh, stand-up comic uh, by the name of Jesse Case. Okay. Uh, really funny guy, but apparently, uh, and this is a little bit more hardcore than what you're talking about. But apparently, sure. uh, 
if you, while you're masturbating, like right before you shoot, if you put an ice pack on on your balls, then you can shoot like 20 feet. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I'm try that. Wow, Isn't I've that never... <laughs> Yeah, I need to like go to a firing range to rub one out. I'm gonna open my bedroom. I don't, yeah, I I'm gonna open my bedroom window. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I certainly don't got twenty feet in here. Uh, wow, that's intense, man. Yeah, but I guess anything you know re- relating to c- kind of crazy sensations like that. It, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Well, spe- this is a good transition into into some news we got here. Yeah, Surprisingly, this was actually on on Jeopardy of all places. You don't think you would get. You don't think you would get a kinky sex talk on Jeopardy, but it is when it's an incorrect answer, and uh, this, is com- <laughs> this is coming off of, from Jeopardy. Jesus. Betsy. Who is Herod? Yeah. Uh, punch for 800, please. A blow to the back of the neck is the punch named for this animal. Mike. What is a donkey? No. <laughs> what is a rabbit punch? <laughs> That's awesome. Now, for, for the moms listening at home, you're going to have to Google donkey punch and figure out what it is, but it's... Uh, well, yeah, I guess I can explain it. It's um, yeah, it's just I think. What do you have? Sex from behind and then punch him in the head. I, it sounds like Is one it of those something that people actually do, though. No, it's one of those things. It's, like it was in a movie. I, I can't they're actually yeah, they actually made a. Uh, it was like some weird indie film called Donkey Punch, and the okay. premise was these guys. They were uh, you know outside of Ibiza or some crazy place in Europe. They uh, you know they rented a boat and then they uh, yeah he was having sex with this chick and then Donkey punched her and then she died. So then it's like, oh, what are we going to do with this body? we got to oh get rid God. of it. That is a wild premise. It was a – yeah. <laughs> I mean I don't even think – it's one of those sexual terms like you see these crazy lists on the internet and yeah. you're like, oh, wait, a chili dog? What's this? And then you know you read it and you're like, no one does that. And, <laughs> yeah. and then maybe they do, or, but really it's probably just people, you know, adolescents with uh, free time on their hands looking for fun. But sure. through the internet, you know, you become a t- contestant on Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. That is so funny. In you're the back of his where? head. <laughs> Oh, that's got. It's got to be funny punch. to explain it to, uh, to people. Speaking of movies, I saw um, this is a little uh, incident I had. I was riding my bike uh, to a comedy show in the Los Feliz area here from Silver Lake. It's not a. Uh, it's not a very far ride. Sure. So I was riding my bike. I noticed that the front tire was out of uh, air a little bit. So I was like, all right, I actually have a bike pump in my bag. I'm going to pump it up so I get a nice firm ride over this open mic. Pull it out, start pumping it up. Quickly realized that I have these like small skinny tires and that when I, I – I guess you need an adapter because I have a regular bike tire. And I put it on and it instantly deflated it. Uh-huh. So I'm there and I'm kind of like halfway there. So it's like, oh, man, if I walk my bike all the way back to my house, then I'm going to miss the open mic. This is going to be a huge pain in the ass. So – sorry. So I – Lock it up there. I locked the bike up on sunset. I was like, all right, now I'm going to walk the rest of the way to the open mic, go to the open mic, go see the film Contraband starring Mark Wahlberg. Great action flick. Had a lot of fun. Really got into it. And it's not even those, uh, you know, ironic enjoyment. It was just like, hey, he's got some guns. They're trying to ship some stuff. Shit goes haywire. It's a fun, uh, fun little romp. And then I get a ride back and... My bike wheel had got stolen. The bike wheel that was flat had gotten stolen. So then I have to walk my bike back with only one tire. <laughs> yeah. And it's just the idea of just like, God, can't you just leave a bike alone? Like, yeah, yeah just the methed out crackhead that has to steal the – just steal the, figure out a way to steal the whole bike, all right? Don't just steal my wheel. That's very aggravating. That's so lame. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it wasn't – I mean, I guess it was my fault like for not having it locked up. How much is a front wheel worth? 15 I don't know. 
I don't know. I'll tell you. I mean, it. I don't know. I ended up probably one hit. Yeah, exactly. It's one hit. That it, really. That should just. I'm going to take a picture of my bike with no wheel on it and just say, "This is an advertisement for crack." Like literally, this is what you'll do. You'll be yeah. the guy stealing bike parts off. I mean, I'm glad the bike seat's still there. I heard that was like an epidemic. Bike seats getting stolen. Yeah, have you ever heard that? Well, there was also some. I saw this hilarious Craigslist post. It was a, a, on Craigslist New York. There was sort of there was like a rash of people stealing. These it had something to do with the ignition of motorcycles. Really? Uh, it was like a tiny part that didn't cost much, but that you could smoke crack in or smoke heroin in or something like that. And this guy had had this tiny thing stolen from his motorcycle like seven times in four days. Like he would go to the store, put it in, go to his house, and they would steal it again. Yeah. And it was this crazy post. It was just like, to the methed out piece of <laughs> shit. <who> can- <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and and of course they're going to be on Craigslist. They're going to be scrolling around. Yeah. They're probably going to send an email to that guy, like, "Hey, man, I really feel bad for you. Where I got some extra ones, I'll drop it off, and yeah. then just steal it one more." Exactly. Exactly. Now, speaking of, uh, let's see. Well, actually, yeah, it's a nice, nice another segue, man. It's all lining up here. You know, people will do the craziest things for drugs, and uh, this is a woman not doing it for drugs. Although uh, some say a Mick. Uh, a chicken McNugget is a drug in and of itself, but uh, this is coming right out of Burbank, your old romp, and okay. uh, your old stopping grounds, as well as mine. And mine. Coming uh, from Burbank. A local woman is facing a prostitution charge after Burbank police arrested her, claiming that she was offering drivers sex for McNuggets at a drive-thru. <laughs> oh, it happened God. Wednesday night at the McDonald's on Olive Avenue. <laughs> a man told a police face? a woman was coming up to cars asking for free chicken McNuggets <laughs> in exchange for sexual favors. Officers then arrested Khadija Bazir of Los Angeles. <laughs> I, I had to let it run just to hear the name. Now, listen, I'm, I didn't see a picture of the woman, but I think we can do the math here yeah. in, in how hot this woman is. Just listen, Smoking, I'm, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> listen, I, I mean, I, this story doesn't get reported if this chick I, – I, on a scale of 0 to 10, which, what, I, what number is she hitting where you think about it? Logan, now I know you, you like fast for food. McNuggets? Yeah. For, well, you're also giving up McNuggets, so this Wait. is a – Wait, what do you mean? What, what, what do you on mean by scale, that question? On a scale of... Um, is this before I get to the window or I've got to give up my <laughs> food? No, this is, this is pre, the pre-ordering game. the window. Right. On a scale of 1 to 10, what number of hotness do you think you're actually considering it? Oh, I mean, obviously, okay. the, obviously the rampant disease or whatever. That being out of the question, on a scale of 1 to 10, if a woman approaches, <laughs> offers to do oral favors in exchange for McNuggets... Pretty forward right there. What what number, uh, like on a scale of 1 to 10, what does a chick have to be before you start considering it? Logan? Consider it? Probably a 7. Because just because she's being that forward makes her a 7, a 9. Like, right. oh. <laughs> you want to suck my <laughs> Or you really want these chicken McNuggets? All right. Dave, what are you thinking? Have you, have you ever been propositioned or have you ever had a woman be extremely forward in a situation to the point that it freaked you out? Uh, um... Obviously, probably not to this level, but oh. no, definitely not to this level. I did. Uh, by the way, it's zero for me. I'll do, it, <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is ever. Uh, right. I could be a guy uh, <laughs> as long as I'm giving someone chicken nuggets. You know what I mean? That's, uh, that's what gets you off. That's yeah, your, man. That's your fetish. Just hold this fifty piece just for two seconds. Just take it. Just put it in the sauce. I'm a giver. It dips it in the sauce. <laughs> it dips it in the. Oh Lord! Uh, uh, now you know my safe word. <laughs> um, I uh, 
He's really hit hard by the extra 15 cents per condiment. <laughs> now, come on. Just work that into the price of the McNuggets. Let's not nickel and dime people for the sauce packets. And as, as patrons, let's get together and realize we're going to be reasonable. We're not going to get 95 ketchup packets. We're not going to bring condiments and salt and pepper home. We're human beings. We're not savages getting tons of straws because we think it's funny or a month's supply of napkins. Humanity. Have some self-dignity and pride. The, the, the corporations, yes, they're trying to nickel and dime us wherever they can but let's let's just agree to just be civilized take as many ketchup packets as we need for that specific fries you've had fries before you know how many packets you need you don't need to be grabbing 15 and then just throwing them all out let's am i saying this, this whole thing while i'm getting a bj <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> i can see myself getting involved in something like that like you know i hook up with a chick and then start ranting about you know mcnuggets and the grade of the meat and how they're and then you look to your left and she's gone <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> All that's left is, you know, her top hat spinning, runs off, kind yeah, of like a cartoon of chicken nuggets behind her. <laughs> that's like a, that's day. kind of almost Atlantic City. Um, I forget what it was. It was like Hookers on the Point, some HBO documentary, where uh, this. It's just I don't know. I don't. I don't know how. Like we've definitely crossed the line, but they just film prostitutes trying to pick up guys, and they bust them, and they under the guise of documentary. But really, this is just Schadenfreude at its worst. Right. And the, the woman's like, "All right, um, I'll, I'll give you a head. It's gonna be it's gonna be five dollars." And the guy's like, "All right." And she goes, "Actually, it's gonna be five dollars and two cigarettes." And the guy's like, "No, one cigarette." And she's like, two cigarettes." What? And the guy walked away. What? And that made me realize when uh, it comes to uh, anything, any deal, any negotiating, you got to be able to walk away from firm. the table. You, you got to – if you want the power, you got to be – and the guy was it, it, the guy was like kind of hashing out scenarios like, oh, we'll get caught. She's like, no, I know this hole in this fence. <laughs> like, oh. oh, my God. Wow. Doesn't but, that make uh, it easier to get caught if you're just standing with your pelvis <laughs> up to a fence? <laughs> you would think. You would think. that You would think that would be a dead giveaway. Oh, just that – I'm leaning on the fence with my waist yeah. for no reason. Is it me, Captain, or is that fence just insanely popular? Yeah. Well, that's a nice deck stain they got on it. Let's uh, keep on moving along. Don't want to see what's on the other side of that fence. I'm just picturing. I'm never going to check. Just picturing when she walked by a hole in a fence and had an epiphany. Like, yes. Wow, that's like perfect. It's right, Jack. It's right down there, perfect level. <laughs> Jack I sell $5 blowjobs. This is great. <laughs> All right. Now, this was, a, this was a story you had sent over to me. It's a story, a local story. Really, could uh, could potentially affect our economy. You talk a lot of people on your uh, on your podcast, I imagine, who are involved in the sex industry, and it uh, it sounds like things might be changing for them. News: The LA City Council just approved an ordinance to require condoms to be used in adult films. The council voted nine to one. It also requires film companies to pay a fee for a filming permit. Those fees would be used to pay for inspections. Ordinance supporters say that the measure is needed to prevent the spread of HIV. The Adult Video Industries Trade Association, the Free Speech Coalition, says that the condoms are not needed. Okay, uh, first off, for a guy who, like most people, is against government bureaucracy, I I just hate the idea that somewhere, somehow, tax dollars are going to be going to, are going to be used for the 
is that condom on inspector guy? Like, all right, I just got to see. I got to pull that out. Let me take a look. Okay, condom's still on. Okay, all right, pull it out again. Like, that's going to be some guy's job. He's going to yeah, be man. salaried. He's going to be getting a 401k. He's going to be putting – he's going to be building a life on this cottage industry. It's going to be like the same thing with the smog uh, the smog industry where, oh, okay, hey, it's a good idea. And then just these – you know, this just this weird industry pops up that yeah. doesn't really need to be there and it's subsidized by taxpayer dollars. I want to know what that guy's title is. First yes, of all. exactly. Yeah. Rubber checker. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be. It's gonna be something like uh, you know, uh, prophylactic inspector level two. And uh, there's gonna be a union adult thing. Film location inspector. Exactly. Uh, something. Yeah, I don't know. Inspector gadget. If you know what I'm saying. Inspector that's, that's, gadget. That's exactly go. what he's gonna. <laughs> yeah, I inspect gadgets. If you know what I'm saying, he would use that all the time at the bar. Now, what, but his what license you, plate would say like "dick guy." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> dick, dick ducks. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, what's your take on this? You know, I'm torn about it because obviously I think that people should like torn I, like I, uh, the organs of the many HIV victims <laughs> that fall prey to the oh, lecherous lord, <laughs> the oh. lecherous sex worker industry, huh? Uh, yeah, Sorry, exactly. That was too, that was too much. Uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm totally into torn vaginas, man. <laughs> uh, no, I. Uh, yeah, no, I am like I, I have. I can't really make up my mind about it because, for one thing, I, I think that uh, safe sex is something that we should always stress. But you know, I'm positive that the adult film industry is really, really diligent about making sure that they have safe sex. I, I know that they are, and I know that just recently, something like six months ago, someone in the adult film industry popped up as having AIDS. Uh, but you know, you can't legislate based on. What some one asshole does, I you know? Yeah, these assholes who just decide to get AIDS. No, I mean, no, I, I know what you mean. The no, idea that, yeah. Uh, also, when the when the cameras are off, they don't stop being promiscuous. It's not like you're going to prevent, you know. Well, their their argument is. I guess that is messed up for me to call him an asshole. No, but I, he was having sex with AIDS, like. I get, yeah, I don't know. Knowingly, and here's the thing: they're tested. I think uh, they're tested every thirty days. Now, obviously, there's maybe a window there where you could have sex outside of the testing period, and it, you know it comes into play. Here, here's yeah, but how is this going to make that window any smaller? Are they inspecting every single day? Yeah, know? and and whatever, and then what is it? Okay, is it just for this kind of sex? Then you got to legislate. Oh, but then th- that kind of sex. It, it, the reality is, if you're involved in the sex industry, you know the risk that you're you're going to be getting involved in, and I I. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, you should wear a condom. But then again, it's like at some point the government has to realize you can't legislate anything really involving sex. People are going to have sex sure. if they want to. And I think right now it's at a good point of mandatory testing. That that seems like pretty reasonable. The mandatory condoms, I don't know. Maybe it's – it just feels like uh, maybe it's pushing a little too far. I don't know. I mean, But then if that happened, it wouldn't affect me and I wouldn't – it might affect you though, just because like I I was thinking about it. I do I don't like porn as much when the guy's wearing a condom. Yeah, and I don't know why. Well, it's one of those things. <laughs> I was gonna say as a concerned citizen, <laughs> the condom, but as a consumer of porn, yeah, I don't like. It, it is the fantasy is much better when it seems like you're in that guy's position with no condom on. I guess I I think it just takes out the element of danger when you see that on. You're like ah oh, responsibility. Oh, this is real life. Yeah. Oh yeah. wait. Uh, 
Yeah, you're right. If you are forcing yourself on the neighbor babysitter, you shouldn't want to get her pregnant. You should take it. So it kind of takes you out oh, of that Oh, you've seen world. forcing yourself on the navy, neighbor babysitter, I see. <laughs> exactly. It really, really rolls off the tip of the tongue there. Good times. Now, so what do you think about uh, – you seem like a, a very well-read gentleman. What do you think about SOPA and PIPA? They're the two anti-piracy laws that are kind of – seems like they're getting pushed by the media industry and – what do you think about that? That they're basically anti-piracy laws. A lot of people are concerned that they would go too far, give the companies too much rights as far as who would they would sue, and just kind of create a legal logjam as far as actually prosecuting people who put up copyrighted material. Yeah, well, I definitely think that SOPA and PIPA are are going way too far. I think that they should keep the responsibility for uh, for you know policing intellectual property on the people that have created it. Um, just because in so many situations, it's like a large corporation that has a lot of content. Like, give me a break. They can handle it. Uh, but also, I think, that, I think that the entire issue is being attacked in the wrong way. Every time I hear someone talk about it, they're like, well, we know that intellectual property is a problem and we have to figure out how to get artists paid for their stuff. But so much content is being made. And it's – I mean for everything that is being charged money for – there are five, ten people that are doing it for free or they're doing it inexpensively or they're just asking for donations. And I think no matter what we do, we're going to get to a point where you can get anything for free, whether you're stealing it or not. So I yep. think that we need to figure out a new system to to run this under instead of trying to just lock everything down. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, you can go on to like shantygreen.com and download free comedy podcasts. You can even click the Amazon link and support Amazon. But the, the point is... I like how you did that. That was amazing, man. <laughs> I really, really crowbarred that in there. There's, there's literally hundreds of hours of great comedy podcasts with all types of uh, big-name celebrities left and right. Um <laughs> The, what kind I, of big name celebrities? Oh, you got your Adam Carolla, Jim Brewer, <laughs> Jim Jeffries, um, Craig Fitzsimmons, Jay Wow. Yeah, that's right, Jay Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. But all, all joking aside, yeah, I, I support intellectual property rights, but I think, uh, yeah, I, what really I think what it is is, and my buddy uh, Ryan, who I host the Sports Gambling Podcast, SportsGamblingPodcast.com, with. He pointed out that I think a lot of it is just the music industry is kind of, uh, for a better word, butthurt over the fact that they weren't able to take advantage of Napster when it first came out. Instead of when they saw Napster, they were like, all right, this is a file sharing service. We can come in and kind of do iTunes on this. They kind of got boxed out by Apple and by other companies instead of just taking Napster, embracing it, realizing people probably will pay for stuff. Now, I I think the big thing was that for the longest time, people were afraid to put their credit card online. Right. I mean, even now, people are a little bit more hesitant, but it's gotten easier and easier because of Amazon, great companies like Amazon, or, <laughs> or whatever. I'm saying, like, your level of comfort to be billed and to pay stuff online has greatly increased. So I think people get more and more comfortable with that. So now if you do implement a kind of paper thing, I think it's a little more reasonable. But, yeah, I mean, we're still kind of in this Wild West era of tons of free bandwidth, tons of people just figuring Figuring it out, and yeah, to have sweeping legislation that you know you can't enforce, it just sounds uh, asinine. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and the punishments that they're proposing, especially with Sopa and Pippa, are insane. I mean, the right. fact that you couldn't, that I couldn't take a video of a band that I like and put it on my blog without danger of going to jail. 
Yeah. Come on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, that'll that'll take care of overcrowding prisons, all right? First we're going to first yeah. we lock up everyone who smoked a joint ever, and then if you're going to post uh, content that might be considered infringing on intellectual property, you're going to be serious. you're going to be we're going to lock those people up as well. It's uh it's, it's everyone. Really be it's a everyone under the age of 25 is doing that, and most people under the age of 40. Exactly, and and older people would be doing it if they knew how to do it, sure. or they or they gave a shit, which m- many of them don't, and possibly a better way to live off the grid. One more, uh, let's see, we got another. Uh, now this was uh, this is kind of a little inside comedy baseball, but I, I think it applies to everyone, or or at least um, you know, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting uh, interesting little uh, little uh, thing that went down. This is uh, talking about the comedy booker, the guy in charge of booking stand up comedy. For the uh, David Letterman show. The booker of stand-up comedians on David Letterman's <laughs> show lost his job. What was the offense of comedian Eddie Brill? Well, he was interviewed by the New York Times comedy critic in a piece that ran a week ago today. And he responded to a question about why there aren't more female stand-ups on the Letterman show by saying there are a lot less female comics who are authentic. I see a lot of female comics who, to please an audience, will act like men. Wow. Scathing, biting <laughs> oh, remarks. Larry Mantle. Now, uh, <laughs> now, what's your take on this? Uh, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I obviously don't uh, agree with the sentiment that female comedians, uh, in general, act like men to get ahead. Uh, I, men do stupid things on stage, and so do women. But also, the guy voiced an opinion, and he's the booker. And he didn't say he hates women. He didn't say he hates female comedy. And he even has booked one woman. So, I mean, the guy... Here's the would, thing. Here's the thing. You want to get mad at someone, get mad at David Letterman, not the booker. If David, Letter, David Letterman is not afraid to fire people, okay? Ask, yeah. ask people that work for David Letterman. If you're not bringing the comedians that David Letterman wants... He, I'm sure you're, you're going to get a note. He might not look you in the eye and talk to you, but you will find out that you're not doing your job. He, he's, a, he's a control freak. It does sound like Eddie was just riding down the party line. Like he was just saying what everyone believed. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, he probably got fired not for booking the wrong people or for having that attitude. He got fired for being stupid. If you're going to be interviewed by a big national piece like the New York Times, do you think the New York Times just doesn't – I mean the person interviewing obviously had kind of an agenda because that if you read the article it's like why aren't more women uh, he, they even phrase him as the gatekeeper why aren't more women blah 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 yeah, as the comedy booker for the letterman show you have to be savvy enough to realize hey i'm representing david letterman i'm protecting the interests of david letterman i have to act accordingly you have to say politically correct answers in that because you don't want to get what good press can be come out of saying something negative about female comedians so i yeah. think, i think he got fired for not you know, for not having enough sense to realize you're being interviewed by the New York Times. They don't give a shit about your stand-up act. They want to they want to write a piece lamenting the fact that, oh, women aren't given a chance because of this dickhead Eddie Brill. So you kind of got to see that coming. You know, uh, 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 an expose in a, in a newspaper is either going to be a hatchet job or a puff piece, all right? And you, you got to kind of sense that this is a hatchet job coming on and, and sure. act accordingly. And, and honestly, if Letterman wanted more female comedians, he would put more female comedians sure. on. And it's, it's, just, it's just hilarious to me. And, like, 
I mean, you want to get mad at Letterman, get mad at him for, you know, promoting women that he had sex with instead of, you know, instead of guys like me who interviewed to have an internship (laughs) at David Letterman, wore a suit, had an awesome resume, nailed that interview. and Now sponsored by (laughs) Amazon.com, which is a great company, by the way. Exactly. All right. You know, Letterman, you can go to SeanTGreen.com, click the Amazon link, and maybe I'll forgive you. But the the idea is... um, yeah, let's. I I think people blew it out of proportion too. I mean, the I guy did... didn't deserve to lose his job. Let's okay. People made fun of him and whatever. That's that's that should fine. Be it. And, yeah. and yes, I, I just don't. And uh, I don't know if it seems to be happening more in comedy. Like uh, Dane Cook, I guess uh, the other night just had uh, just bombed really bad, and uh, people were tweeting about how bad he was bombing. He was saying all this crazy. Where did he bomb? I guess uh, it sounded like the Laugh Factory and the Improv. Like he was just going off. He was big bomb night. Okay. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of getting bits and pieces of it. Uh, T.J. Miller was tweeting a lot about it, and you know, he was saying it was misogynistic and stuff like that. I, I don't know. I'm kind I of a, a lot of people have breakdowns at the Laugh. Factory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just think a lot of people have breakdowns in in stand up comedy. comedy. Oh yeah. And you got to realize if you've never performed stand up comedy, you're you're behind this locomotive and. You may know how to operate it. You have years operating, but sometimes the thing gets out from under you. Yeah. And listen, if a if an audience member wants to film me, you know, screaming something at someone and puts it up, that's fine. But in my mind, I if you're a fellow comedian, my thing is like, hey, let's keep it in the locker room. Let's, you know, let's hey, just talk shit on every to me about everyone I know instead of putting it out there. I don't know. Generally, okay. that's that's my idea. But yeah, I mean. Well, it seems like we're starting to talk about something else now. Uh, well, okay. But, I mean, either way. Well, we're also he, touching on – well, it's the like idea the, of like – the Barbara and Pat. Barbara thing. Gray and yeah. Pat Nozzle, we had touched on the uh, – talked about it last week. I mean, I don't I – don't, um, I don't. I don't think Barbara necessarily did the wrong thing. Just in my. I mean, I guess I wasn't there too, so it's it's hard to say one way or the other. But in my mind, it's like eh, we're kind of all going to be on the same team. Let's keep it in house. But then again, I can see. The idea of if you're really that motivated to write something or you really felt something wrong was done, then, yeah, you're entitled to share your opinion and should. Yeah, absolutely, and I actually uh, I actually agreed with her. Uh, I was there, and you know what? It's funny to say that because I sure, actually, love this is great. crushing hecklers, man. Yeah. I love it. It's like my favorite thing to do. Uh, if someone talks during my set, I immediately think they're an it asshole. It is fun. Yeah, it's so fun. And I was on board with what Patton was doing um, almost the entire time. But then what happened was it ended, and uh, she had like said she deleted it and, and uh, you know like put the camera away or whatever. And then he went on. He started on another rant. Like it was totally done. He'd been going for like 10, 15, 10 minutes, maybe less. And then he picked it up again. And then he started being like mean and made her leave and stuff. And you know, as a big fan of Patton Oswalt, I was like, you know, he like fell from grace a little bit when I watched right. that. But just like the Seti Brill thing, it got blown out of proportion. And I think that like both of these things uh, just go to show how cool comedy is and how like how much people <laughs> give a shit about stand-up yeah, comedy that's right a, now. That's Who a great cares angle about to... what happens in the back? <laughs> no. Yeah. That's a, that's a, it's a great angle to take about. It. If anything, for guys working in this industry, we should – 
we should hope that people care so much. I, I mean, I was surprised people even really give a shit. I mean, in a national scale, obviously I care. I, I want to be on the Letterman show, but now they're going to probably get some person that's against white males or, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> that's the other thing that I don't like about that, man. Like, when you start telling people who they're going to book, then, like, you start putting, like, affirmative action into things like yeah, booking comedy shows and stuff like that. Then, uh, I mean, there's a, really there's a. feel validated when you get that? Right. You know? There's a much smaller percentage of women doing comedy, period. Sure. Okay. So to to have this big um, you know New York Times piece about only one woman booked, yeah maybe percentage wise that's a little bit lower. But there's also there's shows maybe that women are a better fit for or not. You know it's and this is show business. It's not an equal opportunity. By this is like the antithesis of equal opportunity. It's insane that yeah. people can kind of you know. I don't know, dig their heels in about it and, and say, I, I get it. You're pissed. He's booking certain type of comedians. You're not a certain type of comedian. But yeah, that's show business, you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah it just he, sucks. He <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he right. If you're. Carefully, too. He, well, he definitely wasn't trying to demean women and he wasn't saying women, yeah, I'm against women comedians. He was saying, well, there's something about it that's not genuine. And you know, as the booker, that's. I think the the, the real big problem he had there all, was right? that he didn't he didn't qualify anything that he said, from what I could tell. You know, because like that is something well, I that he said many. I, I don't remember the quote, but I thought he said many women, as opposed to like, well, women comedians. You know, just saying that general. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, many, it's, it's one of those like things kind of too. Things you, you yeah, I'm sure you take it a certain way if you're a woman comedian. And if I was a woman comedian, I'd probably be a little annoyed at it. But just this. Kind of like uh, we just had this uh, this weird mentality of like this digital lynch mob. I feel like is forming, or just like, hey, someone said something. Let's let's get them. Let's burn them. Uh, just yeah. about, yeah. I mean, if a person's an asshole, they deserve to have to be called out on it. And and uh, honestly, this this could have just been a smack in the face for him. And he, what would have happened is he would have booked a bunch of women, yeah, exactly. and that would have been cool. You know. Right. And I, like the other thing that's really weird about it is that Letterman doesn't put that much stand up on. At all anymore. Like yeah. you yeah. never see stand-ups on Letterman, <laughs> and there are way more men than women. Like he literally could have just said or meant there aren't that many women. I don't know, man. It yeah, does, that, it's just not a big I, deal, right? To me. At the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, I I think I think what it is is that he got fired for not being savvy enough to realize. Yeah. Hey, even if we have a policy that says we're looking for this type of comedian or not, uh, we don't like guys who do a lot of ethnic humor that's not kind of Dave's style. You keep that in-house. You know what I mean? you got to realize, like, okay, whatever whatever Dave's sensibilities are that you've gathered from doing years and years of booking it, you don't need to share that with everyone. I, I think I think that's what yeah. Letterman likes to keep things tight-lipped. Uh, I don't know I don't know if you saw a few of his scandals. He likes to keep things under wraps. Sure. And I think he probably got more in trouble for that. Than the actual policy itself. Yeah. Dave Letterman knew that there weren't a lot of female comedians on. He, he didn't need to. He didn't need to open the newspaper. Oh my God! I'm not booking female comedians. He knew. He was well aware. If you want to give someone shit, my thing is you should give Dave Letterman shit. That's that's my thing. Yeah. Well, I think I think what it probably mainly was is Worldwide Pants was really excited. They had a new, you know, New York Times article coming out, and then it comes out and it's scathing instead of. Yeah, you know, bringing them more. All right. Well, I think we've run long here. Time to wrap things up. Logan, you want to uh, do it with a haiku here? Let's do it. (laughs) Drug nerd, try gold bond. Blink, one eighty two mixtape. 
McNasty Nuggets. <laughs> nice work. All right. Well Thanks done. a lot, Dave, for uh, coming on the program. Appreciate your time. Where can, uh, where can people check you out? Uh, my website is davetotheross.com. Uh, it's D-A-V-E-T-O-T-H-E-R-O-S-S. Uh, and then Twitter, at Dave to the Ross. And, like, yeah, my uh, I run a show downtown in downtown L.A. every Tuesday called Great Holy show. Fuck. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite in L.A., if not the favorite. Oh, really? Yeah, wow, no, thanks, I, I, yeah, you always have uh, good shows. The venue is really cool. It's it, Yeah, you're seeing stand-up in a movie theater, which sounds kind of like, uh, how's that going to work? And then you get there, and it's a good time. They got a... Uh, Takati's two for six bucks. Always enjoyable time checking out, and you get some big names there too. So it's a good. Yeah, it's fun. It's a good cheap Tuesday night. And actually, I think that uh, we have you on coming up soon, right? I think I saw that in our lineups. Um, I don't know, not that I know of, but uh, if not, uh, you know, <laughs> okay. I, I'm sure we'll figure it out. I, I've I've done it. I believe done that's it. true, but right. I shouldn't have said that. Now. No, it's all right. It should have been a surprise. <laughs> yeah, Sean will be back on Holy Fuck at some point. Well, I, that's definitely true. I just yeah. thought that we had recently I've done booked the, him. I've done the show, and it's a great time. Enjoyed doing it. A couple. Quick plugs here. Of course, the Sports Gambling Podcast, the uh, NFL Championship Edition, 11-5 and five against the spread for the playoffs with Sean Green's pick, so make sure to check that out. And January 22nd, 7 o'clock, just for laughs, showcase at <laughs> Flappers. So uh, it's plural with that's this. this Sunday. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Green Room. We do it live here every Thursday on SeanTGreen.com. Thank you, folks, for listening to The Green Room. Check out Sean Green's comedy CD, The Whiskey Dick, now available on iTunes. Follow the show on Twitter at Green Room Show, and check out LoganLystico.com. But he seen her walk by in them tight jeans, and he looked at her like that.